0: Welcome to a Paint in the Glass podcast. This is your host Bill Shearhart, coming to you once again from the festival city of Stratford, Ontario, ancestral home of the Anishinaabe, Iroquois, Ojibwe, and Chippewa First Nations. A Paint in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone. In today's episode, I have a friend, a friend from British Columbia, a friend whose recreational property was on the same lake where I lived, Lake Cowichan. Elaine Dack Jackson, team leader, Team Canada, and she has done so much for curling in Canada. We would be here a long time if I was to list all of the contributions that she has made. I have reached out to Elaine, her home in Victoria, British Columbia, to talk about a number of topics, not the least of which is the Olympics. Elaine, welcome to A Pain in the Glass podcast. Every four years, there's this gathering of athletes around the world to compete at various sports. I think they call it the Olympics or something like that. (laughs) And of course, it is the Olympics. I'd like you to speak first. What's involved from the time that a team's last rock comes to rest at the curling trials until they go to the Olympics and perhaps complete the competition? Describe that journey for us, please.
1: Well, it's, uh, it, as you say, it, it's, it's really unique. It happens to such few people. It's really difficult to prepare a team for that. But what we know is before that day that they win, we need to make sure that they feel like they are training for the Olympics long before that day. So from that day, the day that they win the trials, their life changes. Um, once you become an Olympian, you are an Olympian for the rest of your life. But you have this small window of just a couple of months to do that final preparation between, you know, around December 1st till around February 1st when you leave to, to head to the Olympics. So it's a very small window of time when you think that you've got Christmas and New Year in there. Uh, you have to be incredibly focused and disciplined to make all of the decisions on what you decide to do in that short period of time, deliberate and meaningful and focused. It can get very easy to be distracted by media and appearances and gifts and the attention of, of being an Olympian. And, um, the Olympians have to learn to just really cut that all out and think, you know, this is my opportunity, you know, perhaps for the only time in my life to go compete at the Olympics. And every moment of time has to be dedicated towards that. So the, you know, the journey might be a little bit unique, but we do know that um, training is really important. Training on quality ice, training with the entire team, if possible, competition, you know, that certainly put a big dent into this recent Olympics with very limited competition because of COVID, which was a a bit of an issue. But, you know, a real balance between training, competition, rest, recovery, nutrition, team, um, focus on having some enjoyment together. And then, of course, an appropriate amount of time dedicated to family and recharging your batteries and making sure that any additional time that you have is family focused. So really there's room for nothing else besides pre- preparing for the Olympics during that time.
0: And I know your role as team leader uh, is somewhat unique as well. What does a team leader do in all of this preparation?
1: Well, well, My role is to make sure that the team is prepared and has everything that they require at their fingertips. So it's, it's an interaction. It's a, it's a discussion, a conversation between the athletes, the team coach and myself and my colleagues about how can we best prepare these athletes and this team for their very best possible shot at, at a medal at the Olympics. So You know, we talk about uh, what their strengths are, what their, you know, little things that they might be able to work on in the next couple of months and what kind of things we might be able to bring to the training environment to support those small little gaps that they might want to address. So my job is to help them figure out what to best do with respect to what their goals and aspirations and limitations are. You know, every athlete is different with respect to, you know, whether they have small children, um, whether they have other obligations in their life. Pretty much, athletes are not working during this time, so we're we're just figuring out what is possible for them and how Curling Canada and the other support system can help them. You know, find all the things that they need to do to be their best and to focus on the training part. You know, the my colleagues and I we try to take all the other aspects of it away from the athletes, like the organizational part of it, the travel, the accommodation, the all of the paperwork and a submission of forms and so many you know organizational details as well as overseeing to ensure that their training environment is in class is in fact world class.
0: One of the members of that support team, the performance enhancement team, as I like to call them, is Renee Sonnenberg. And Renee has done an episode with me. It hasn't been published yet. And, of course, her role is analytics. And it really does take an entire performance enhancement team to make sure that all support mechanisms are there. Now, once you actually get to the venue and you're – ready to compete. How is that different, say, from a world championship or a grand slam, you know, some sort of event at that level? What makes the Olympics so different?
1: Well, the thing that makes the Olympics so different is that it's the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Olympics. You know, it's the Olympics, and there's nothing bigger than that. It only happens every four years, it's incredibly important in an athlete's journey. It's always, you know, that the highest achieving athletes are, it's always their ultimate goal and so few people achieve it. But it's really difficult to explain or describe why it's different. In fact, it's, you know, it's never really the success of the coaching team that, that helps make that happen because whatever we do to help them, understand what it's going to be like, you know, they they never really know until they get there. So what we have to do is make sure that we prepare them for the kind of things that will happen when they get there, to make sure that they have the skills to be able to focus and concentrate and not be distracted by the things that go on at the Olympics. You never know what they're going to be, but everything is bigger, more vivid, more complicated, more important. And, you know, I guess this most recent Olympics is just a few weeks ago in Beijing or, you know, a month ago. And I really tried to pay attention when I walked into the field of play for the first time and kind of soak it up and say, like, what is it about this place? And honestly, when you walk in there, it just feels different. You can feel every person in the building is there with a little more intensity, a little more focus, a little bit more making sure they're going to bring it all, you know, today in this moment. And it just creates that feeling that is unlike any other championship.
0: One of the uh, things, I don't like to use that word, but it's all I got right now. One of the things that we hear from Olympians is that they the, the feeling of being part of team canada that it's not just the curling team it's the hockey team it's the it's the, the the sliders you know it, it's it's being part of this group of athletes representing the country and of course you can't duplicate that anywhere
1: yeah and it's so unique. You know, the only thing that I can compare it to is uh I had the privilege of going to several Canada Games and that really I think prepared me for the environment of the Olympics and some of our uh, Olympic curling athletes have been to the Canada Games where you're part of a bigger team and uh you know there's a couple of things about that. Uh one it, it's super fun to be part of a bigger team, you know. Not only do you have your curling teammates, you have everybody, everybody's wearing the same uniforms. When you pass each other in the village or in the cafeteria, you know, you wave at each other, you say hi, because even though you might not know who, know who they are, you recognize them, they're part of your team. And that's super exciting. Then, you know, they're in the building watching you. So, you know, there's a real fellowship of, you know who's playing today who do we need to get out and support that has an important match or game at the olympics and getting to those other sports but on the other hand um there's the other uh, parameter where you're not just the little curling team from the victoria curling club or wherever you may be from anymore you are team canada and with that you know becomes this whole bigger aspect of being part of something big and You know, that's to be celebrated, but it's also to be learned and understood how to make that a positive thing and not something that you feel like there's some sort of expectation that goes along with it.
0: I saw the preparation part, the, you know, in Canada preparation part, when uh, the National Training Centre program for a few years was not at the Glencoe Club in Calgary, it was at the Calgary Winter Club and Shannon Kleibering's team, and they were from the Winter Club, and they had won the trials and were Team Canada, and I wasn't involved, but I was right there, and I, I you know, each day from the time that last rock came to rest at the trials until they actually left, I could not believe the distractions. Now, nobody was trying to distract them, of course, that wasn't the plan, but just the, uh, the number of uh, requests for interviews and da-da-da-da, and I thought to myself, my goodness, these people have to prepare to play. But of course, all of those interviews and interactions with the media was very important, quite naturally. When you are actually competing at the games, you know, and one of the things that I said to the athletes here in Stratford this weekend, uh, I get a chance to speak with all of them before it starts. And I say, you know, even though we're here playing for a national championship, the ice and the rocks have no idea what this is about. <laughs> you know, trying to sort of normalize the situation. Um, that must be a real challenge when it's, the Olympics. So, how, what what made a coach learn from with their team achieving a goal for the first time and excuse me, and playing in an environment that is they're not accustomed to? So, what are some things that you've learned from your coaching career to calm athletes down?
1: As you say, you know, curling is the same whether you're in an Olympic. Uh, field of play, or whether you're in a curling club field of play, and the curling ice and the curling rocks don't know where you are, you know, your your performance must be the same. Although it's it's really difficult to take an athlete and take them from a curling club and place them in an, in an Olympic field of play and say, just do what you normally do. You know, that's where training comes into play and the importance of training for that moment, because every moment should be the same and in the in the training environment we practice the same things at the same speed in the same kind of environment where you know there's a communication of a shot there's a discussion of what has to happen in the shot there's a pre-shot routine for the thrower for the sweepers for the line caller and then the shot is executed and then it's communicated And that's exactly what has to happen at the Olympics in an Olympic game. Exactly the same. But uh, it's the training of that moment so that it feels the same and doesn't feel like it's bigger than it is, which is when things go awry. And, you know, you can see it as a trained coach or as an experienced coach. You know, you know, when you watch your athletes if they look like they're comfortable, if they look like they're at ease, if they look like they do, you know, when they're at their best. And what you want to see is them looking exactly like they do all the time when they're when they're doing their best. So it's um, you know, it's reverse engineering that moment so that when they get there, it is normal. It it's just a curling shot. And that it is really challenging because as I said, I, I was just in Beijing and and watching all of the different countries of the world go out there and see which ones are able to just be a team and support each other and play like they're in the regular curling rank, as opposed to look like, you know, this game could be one of the most important games of my entire life, you know? So it's, it's really interesting to watch those athletes and see how they do.
0: Being at the Olympics is the pinnacle as you've suggested, but We're learning that when athletes come home from an event like that, it can be a serious, and I'll I'll use the term, it can be a serious mental health challenge. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's um, completely true. and. Uh, In recent times, we have begun to realize the importance of that. You know, many years ago, uh, I could feel those feelings coming home from important events and thinking, um, you know, why do I feel this way? Why, you know, why do I not feel like myself? And we just didn't talk about it before. But now... You know, a number of things have brought it to the forefront and brought it to a, a place where it's completely OK to talk about it and, and it's it, it's good to talk about it. So I've been um, privileged to be the co-lead on the Curling Canada High Performance Mental Health Strategy, whereby that is our job is to think about how are our athletes going to feel after an important championship or going into the championship at the championship, when they finish the championship, win or lose, and you know there can be those kind of feelings for winners and for those who don't win, and they're all real. And so, it, you know, it is a reality. I think um, what we've learned is the first thing to do is to make sure that athletes feel comfortable sharing their feelings. The first, the first part of healing or recovery is talking about it to somebody, whether it's a trusted friend or whether it's a, a professional person or a coach or a parent or a spouse, whoever it is, that you disclose that um, you you have these feelings. And then uh, there's support things in place. There's support mechanisms. Uh, there's a game plan program um, nationally and, and um, many different things that can be done to support athletes in this day and age, which it is just super positive and something that just didn't exist in our conversations before. Well, thank you for that.
0: Let's move into a different a different part of your curling world. you you started a summer camp, which I, I think you were one of the first ones to start a summer camp, a most successful summer camp in British columbia, which is your home province, and which was, I considered my home province for quite some time, and uh, I miss it very much, especially right now. <laughs> Knowing it's it's spring where you are, and at Stratford, we had an ice storm today. What what's the, what's the impact from your perspective uh, with summer camps, and uh, what what ath- what it does for the young athlete from attending uh, summer camps?
1: Well, in my experience, um, hosting summer junior camp since 1982. Um, we don't host junior camps uh, at this moment, but for over 30 years, we hosted junior camps and we found that that's where, uh, young curlers find their absolute love for curling. You know, they may have an interest in curling or, uh, you know, a a skill for curling. Once they go to camp and experience that absolute fun involved with learning more about their sport, along with other people that also love the sport, they really find that curling is a lifetime sport. And we've seen that over the years. Uh, that's the first part of it is that it's just really important in um solidifying um that love and passion for the sport. But the second part of it is that they have an opportunity to learn some skills um, in a pretty dedicated environment, you know, whereas at the home club they might have curling once a week or, you know, um, have a league or so on. They may not have access to quality coaching over a period of time, such as you know, four or five days or a week. So there's a real learning opportunity for accelerating skills quite quickly, and then being able to follow up once you get home um, with your regular training in your club. And I've been
0: involved in your favorite camp, and it's an adult camp at near the end of the summer months. What great fun those are! And to speak to speak to camps from an adult perspective.
1: Yeah, well, our camps are like a, a real combination of, um, number one is, uh, we guarantee that your skills will improve. Uh, that is why you come to camp because, you know, everybody comes because they want to be a better curler. That's why they come. But the other thing that we do there is that we make sure that they have a really super amazing, fun time doing that because, uh, it makes it more, Enjoyable and um, so uh, yeah. At our camps, we have a pretty specific uh, curriculum where we, uh, uh, you know, use tried and true skills and uh, applications that we've learned over the years. And we have specialists in every area. And I think it gives uh, athletes or, or curling participants an opportunity to come in and hear a variety of different people speak. Uh, In a fun environment, they can learn about strategy and delivery and team dynamics and and all these different things from quite a number of people, as well as uh, have conversations with people from other parts of the province or country and sometimes even the world. So it's just a really unique opportunity.
0: Uh, it's the farfoot camp so shout out to the farfoot camps and you also bring in elite athletes so who are some of the athletes that have been at your camp
1: well uh yeah we've had lots we've had jennifer jones and mike McEwen and caitlin laws and um yeah rachel holman yeah lots of them and you know i find Competitive athletes really want to pass on their love of the sport as well. Like they really want people to love curling. They want to uh, share their knowledge and and their enjoyment of it. So they always say yes. You know, if they're available, they want to be involved.
0: Well, I miss it. That's for sure. Um, Last night uh, here in Stratford at the U21 Championship, we have a coach's lounge. And uh, last night, Sean Turrup, who's going to take over for me as the resource coach, um, he did a session on coach care. And he made some really interesting points that you know coaches have to go through the roller coaster of emotions just as you're know, right up there with the athletes. And of course, as coaches, we're very concerned about how our athletes are able to deal with that range of emotions, emotions. And then, of course, he said, but who looks after us? Because sometimes we have to be able to talk with someone um, because we can't be the best for our athletes until we feel that we're, our head's in the right place and those emotions that athletes go through. So perhaps you can... Talk a
1: little bit about that from your perspective. Early in my coaching career, I was a rookie coach. I didn't really understand uh, the role of the coach or how to take care of myself. It was all about the athletes. And I'd get sick every time I went to a major competition because I just let myself get so run down. But over some time, I figured it out and realized a couple of things. One, you're not responsible for everything you you do your best and you um fulfill the role that your team has asked you to fill but i learned how to not live and die with every moment of it <laughs> and one of those support systems is to have somebody to talk to at the end of the day to be able to debrief a little bit let off some steam you know say the things that you wish you could say out loud but you can't you know because you need to keep up the professionalism and the rapport with the athletes, but having a, a friend or a, another coach or somebody. So I think what it, what you do at the juniors is just an amazing thing for the coaches. You know, I always find that you might stay up a little bit too late because you're having a great conversation with somebody that um, understands how you feel, has been there, maybe uh, is going to say something to make you feel a little bit more comfortable with how your day went. Um, But it's worth it to, to stay up a little late and get those feelings uh, kind of put to bed before the day is done. And so I think it's really important for a coach to understand uh, self care, what that means to them, which of course, would be very different for everybody. And make sure that that is factored into the plan.
0: That's a very good point that you've just made that it's different for everyone. It's at the point that Sean made last night was there isn't a template for that because everyone, everyone is different. And I'll just leave it at that. Everyone's different.
1: One, one, I'll make one more comment. Sure. One, thing yes. that, um, one, one thing that I have asked coaches or the same as I ask athletes, I have a question, like, what are the three most important things for you to do your best? And I ask that to athletes and I asked that to coaches. So, What are the three most important things that you can bring your best to your coaching situation? And if you can answer those questions, then you know what to do.
0: Great point. And we'll leave it right there. So Elaine, seven time Olympian, you're always an Olympian as well. Of course, when you're, when you're there as a coach, I want to thank you very much and on behalf of the coaches who will listen to this episode, thank you very much. And of course, Go Canada, go!
1: <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining
0: Elaine and I, Behind a pane in the Glass. Elaine is one of those people whose contribution is immeasurable. And I want to thank her once again for taking the time to join us. She is not only a world traveler with our national teams. She does a tremendous amount of work for Curling Canada right here at home. My email address is coachbill at hey.net if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. A Plane in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone. Good curling. And stay safe, everyone. Until next time, behind a pain in the butt.